How's everybody today? Good to see you. Good to see you. A couple of things I just want to celebrate uh, this morning. Praise God for, for Brad Harris. Where, where's Brad sitting? Uh, where, right there. Oh, too close. Yeah. Hey, Brad. Praise God for you getting baptized. That was so awesome. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Only one thing that we're sure about that will make those angels sing and shout is when a sinner gives the... <laughs> it's when a sinner makes the Lord his choice. That's when the angels rejoice. Yeah. 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 Hey, cool. Awesome. And uh, Jorge Perez is another student, Tom uh, Disciples, who uh, got baptized that day as well. So awesome. It's really cool. Really, really cool. It's the best thing of all. And, and Brad and Tanner, you know, get up there and share, as well as Jessica. All three of these folks share mightily within the church. Uh, Jessica's involved with Covenant Heights Camp and ministers there, but helps with the church as well. These two guys in high school, this guy is always back in our children's department every Sunday. If you want to find Tanner, he's faithfully back there serving. is awesome, bro. Thank you for your investment in kids, plus leadership at our other events and stuff. Tanner's there. He's really, his family's really charter members of this church, and they were part of a group of 12 that asked me if I'd come. Still wondering why I answered that call, but no, no, it's cool. I'm glad we're here. And Brad, man, whether friends are here or not, he is here, and he, the word is coming alive in him so much, yeah. And then mentioning Tom, uh, Tom had a major fall off a ladder. You know, he's uh, in a new venture of life uh, right now, and uh, uh, leaving a, a secure job at Covenant Heights. You know, Tom is like my all-time favorite guy. He worked on staff six years, and, and I love Tom forever, friends. So when he fell off this ladder, the ladder folded under him, and his back flopped across the ladder. And so he, last night, he says about 70%. He spent a lot of time in bed, uh, but here he is starting a new business. And also yesterday, they moved. Um, you know, when I talked to, when I got a text from him on Friday, he said he could, couldn't lift any more than a gallon of milk. And so let's, let's just really pray. In fact, why don't you reach out your hands and let's just speak a blessing. Oh God, we love Tom and we know you love Tom and our heart's desire, our heart's prayer is that you would heal him mightily even now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Let's give glory to God for Tom, can we? Yeah. Yeah, And then I'm totally blown away to see Tana and Rana Bowles here today. They just brought to church the newest and youngest member of Summit Church. Yeah, and I don't even have the baby's name. Can you help me out? Paige. All right, now is that P-A-I? All right, there you go. Paige Bowles, yay. Yay for that. Yeah. Love you guys dearly. All right, so uh, we are in a current Bible series, The Fullness of, of Forgiveness. The big idea of this series is God's got a really big eraser, and a really big eraser means a number of things. It's all about a clean start, a flesh, or <laughs> flesh, <laughs> fret. yeah, we got to deal with the flesh, a fresh start, new opportunities, new beginnings. Uh, and this is good stuff. Aren't you glad about God's big eraser this morning? Anybody? Yeah, you better believe it. Well, so I realize that, that when I mention a topic such as forgiveness, that some of us are going to grimace 
Uh, some of us are going to get defensive. Uh, you know, uh, our, our hairs are going to raise on the back of our necks. Our spines are going to stra- straighten up. Why is that? Well, frankly, because some of us have been so hurt by someone or someone's in the past that we can't even begin to fathom forgiving them. Truth is, we don't want to fathom forgiving them. And if that's you, then you really, really need to hear my heart on this series because this series is about God's incredible love and forgiveness toward you. Okay, now I can't take away from the fact, I can't deny the fact that the scripture calls us to, to forgive. But, but, but we need to understand that we're never going to be able to forgive like we need to unless there's two things that have come into play. One, we have fully come to a place of understanding and experience of our Heavenly Father's love and forgiveness for us. A. B. We are fully entrusted and empowered by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit's rule in our lives because He alone will empower us to move in territories that go way beyond our natural tendencies and our natural capacities. So this is really a study about the fullness of the Father's forgiveness. That's what it's all about. So in just a moment, Dave, why don't you start making your way down here? David Berry's going to read scripture for us, but we've got a few things before we we get there. He's going to be reading the parable of the prodigal son, and if you want to turn there your Bible, Luke chapter 15, he's going to be using the New American Standard Version. But before we get there, I need to give you three interesting facts about this parable, all right? Yeah, just have a seat there, Dave, and we'll get you up here in a little bit here. Three interesting facts about this parable. Number one, the word prodigal isn't a biblical word. Prodigal, not a biblical word. Now, I realize it may appear in your Bible as as a subheading, but you need to realize that those subheadings were put there later just to help us to work our way through the Scriptures. Okay, the word prodigal means wasteful. And and while we might all agree that the younger brother in the parable was wasteful, that really isn't what this parable in its most major understanding is all about. Truth is, it's as much and probably more about the unrighteous attitude of the older son. So we could call this the parable of the unforgiving older brother. But, all right, I didn't know Paige was in here. Just love that sound, man. Life in the church, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I wish some of you were that loud. Like a little bit more noise in this place. It's awesome, yeah. Cry, baby, cry. Yeah, be real, kid. We love it. All right, so a greater understanding is that this is about How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only Son to make a wretch his treasure. Yeah, so we could call this the parable of the loving Father. So the first thing is the word prodigal doesn't appear, it's not a biblical word. 
Second thing is that the prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal son, is one of three parables in Luke 15 that Jesus is using to make the same point. Okay, this is very intentional. It was a common practice of the uh, rabbis to use three stories, three illustrations in order to make their major point. And so if you start with verse 1 of chapter 15, you'll be able to see what's going on here, the context and how all this is playing out. In all three parables, something has been lost. A coin, a sheep, a son. Also in all three cases, there is diligent searching that results in lost things being found. <laughs> And when lost things are found, there is great rejoicing. You can check it out twice in the context, verse 7 and verse 10. We find these incredible proclamations letting us know that there is great rejoicing among the angels in heaven over one sinner who repents. And that's really what these three parables are all about. Someone is found. Someone is turned around. Somebody has come home. So the word prodigal is in, in the scriptures. Uh, Jesus is using this to make a major point as one of three three arguments in his case and then the third thing always remember when you're studying scriptures to take everything in its context and in this case what Jesus is doing is using these stories to confront the arrogance of holier-than-thou thinkers who are in the religious system Okay, that's what he's doing right here. If you look at verse 1, look what it says, how it starts off there. Okay, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them? And then you go to verse 7, and, and, and Jesus says, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So friends, these parables are spoken to religious elitists who, who have a tendency to want to look down on other people who don't walk where they walk, who don't share their convictions. So the older brother in this parable represents Pharisees. Okay, this attitude of religious superiority and the message Jesus is sending, and we need to hear it right now, right here in this place and in the day we live and in the culture we live and with all the shifts we're seeing that we can't believe are happening in our lifetime, we need to hear it. Jesus, friend to sinners. Yeah. So we're going to spend some time right here for a few moments.
Jesus, friend of sinners, can we give him praise? Yeah, you better believe it. So, so I always find it interesting when, when Christians are referred to as having a holier-than-thou or self-righteous attitude. Okay, now many times, oftentimes, there's a spirit of antichrist at work that's stirring this up, but we have to concede that there are those who, who strut around church with an attitude of superiority about them. And, and honestly, I think I've probably represented that a time or two in my own life. But we have to realize, and what God wants us to hear here hear today, that this doesn't represent who Jesus is, and it definitely doesn't represent what Jesus wants his church to, to be about. Jesus is a friend to, to sinners. His attitude sharply contrasts the attitudes of these religious elitists who somehow think that they are the standard of everybody else's righteousness. And while these Pharisees are trying to maintain a distance as far away from sinners as possible, it seems to me that Jesus is getting just as close to them as he could get. And I'm glad because he got to me. <laughs> Anybody else feel that way? Yeah, you better believe it. Okay, now please don't misunderstand what's, what's going on here. Jesus doesn't condone sin. Jesus uh, doesn't ignore sin. He doesn't sugarcoat sin. He doesn't try to make us feel good in our sin. So if you look at verse 10... It says there, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. Okay, so David, come on up here. He's going to read the text. May Summit Church always have a heart, the heart of Christ for people who are desperately far 
from their God. Yeah. Come and read for us, Dave, the text. Oh, sorry. And Jesus said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. And the father divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be in need. And he went and attached himself to one of the citizens of that country. And the citizens sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he was longing to fill his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be your son. Make me as one of your hired men. And he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to be merry. All right. Yeah, I love it. He was lost and is found. Love that. Thank you, bro. Yeah, bless you, man. Cool. All right. So if you read on now in this parable, and we're going to get to this uh, in, in the weeks ahead, what you'll discover is that the older brother isn't happy about this, and he refuses to join in the celebration. He has an angry and unforgiving attitude toward both the father and toward this younger brother who would dare have the nerve to take his share of the inheritance, go off and waste it all, and only after wasting it all, then, then coming back home. And really, to understand what's going on here, you have to realize that to ask for your share of the inheritance before the parent is dead is like wishing a death sentence upon them. And this older brother wouldn't forgive while, uh, while the younger, while the father was greatly rejoicing in, in the heart change that he's seen toward his son. Okay, so Katie, come on up here. And just for the fun of it, Katie is going to share a little parody of this with us. All right, she's all excited about doing this. And it's, <laughs> it's called Melody in F. Would you like to hold this or would you like me to? All right, great. Go for it. Feeling footloose and frisky, a featherbrain fellow forced his fond father to fork over the farthings and flew far to foreign fields where he frittered his fortune, feasting fabulously with faithless friends. <laughs> Fleeced by his fellows in folly and facing famine, he found himself a feed flinger in a filthy farmyard. Fairly famished, he fain would have filled his frame with forged food from fodder fragments. <laughs> Fooey. <laughs> that one's a PH. <laughs> My father's flunkies fare far finer, the frazzled fugitive forlornly fumbled, frankly facing facts, 
Frustrated by failure and filled with foreboding, he fled forthwith to his family. Falling at his father's feet, he forlornly fumbled, Father, I flunked, and fruitlessly forfeited family <laughs> fellowship and favor. The far-sighted father, forestalling further flinching, frantically flagged the flunkies to fetch a fatling from the flock <laughs> and fix a feast. The fugitive's fault-finding brother frowned on fickle forgiveness of former Folderall. But the faithful father figured, filial fidelity is fine, but the fugitive is found. What forbids fervent festivity? Let flags be unfurled, let fanfares flare. All right. <laughs> Father's forgiveness formed the foundation for the former fugitive's future fortitude. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, the author's name is Phil. Phil, <laughs> Phil Kerr, yeah. So thank you, Katie, for bailing me out on that one. <laughs> awesome job. Awesome job. Super. Okay. Okay, now, getting back to our text here, and, and just a couple of things before we get really to the heart of what I believe God wants you to hear this morning. A, a couple of things going on here. We cannot do this parable justice without looking at the repentant attitude of this younger son. In verse 17, it says that when he came to his senses, you see, he woke up. He, he, he realized that he'd been going the wrong way. There was a time when he thought that surely there's something better out there, something away from what is familiar to me and family to me. Surely there must be something better. And he's been out there, he's experienced it, and everything out there has left him empty. And now he has this contrast between the predicament of the mess he's gotten himself into and the goodness of being near his father. Yeah. So this isn't a story about a 48-year-old man who refuses to get with it and get out of the house and go do something. Okay, This is the story about the blessing of being in proper relationship with those who love you most. It's about being in relationship with your God, and your family. And so when I get here in this, I, I have to share a story. And I know some of you have heard it at least once. Maybe you've heard it a number of times. But it's my story, and it's a story that has to be told. It's concerning a time when I was a young zealot for God, and I decided to drive up to Tempe because I was living in Tucson, and I visit my aunt. And I'd spent some time there with my aunt, who very cautious person, just, you know, just a lot of fear. You know, there's a lot of fear in my family, and, and it's extended, this, this fear. And so the next day, uh, I got in my car to leave, and she insisted that she drive me to the entry ramp to get onto Interstate 10, I-10. So she drives me to the ramp. I mean, I'm in my car. I'm following her. We get there, and I start going my way, and she's watching me go up this ramp, when, lo and behold, there on the ramp is a hitchhiker needing a ride. Okay? Yeah, I've hitchhiked a number of times myself. I'm not always in the habit of picking up hitchhikers, but I felt like God wanted me to pick this hitchhiker up. So I whipped right over there. My aunt's seeing this. I'm sure she's freaking out, right? This guy gets in the car, and I'm playing this, this, uh, this awesome, yes, A-track. 
Yeah, yeah, and, it, and it's all about God, and it's all about coming home, and, and, and we're making our way, um, you know, to the halfway point of Arizona. You're starting to see Picacho Peak, and, and there at the base of Picacho, there used to be an old Stuckey's, and, uh, and as we're getting close, I'm sensing something's going on with this guy next to me, and so I look over, and he's just weeping in tears, and, and he said to me, excuse me, would you mind if we just pulled over at this next ramp, I need to make a phone call. And so I pulled over, and he gets out of the car. He didn't have money. I gave him a quarter or something. And I wait, and a little bit later, he comes back, and he says, um, you don't need to take me any further. And I was like, what's going on? Did I do something wrong? He said, no. He said, that music you're playing. He said, all about coming home, come home to Jesus. He said, I was raised in a Christian home. And I walked away from it. I walked away from my family. I've been on the road for three months. And he said, I just called my mom and dad, and I told them, I'm coming back home. Yeah, coming home. He said, I just need some time to think about it. And I know here today that there's somebody here that you need to hear from God, and you need to come home. You've been chasing empty pursuits. And when are you going to wake up and realize that they're not getting you where you thought they would get you? That they're only leading you to disappointment and frustration. You used to think maybe God was withholding something from you. And you need to wake up and see that's not the case at all. And in verse 18, the son says, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Friends, this is repentance in action. You can turn on Saturday Night Live and watch him make jokes about the church and this word repentance, but it is a crucial word, and we're not going to let it go. This is about a 180-degree turnaround. It's running home to your heavenly Father who loves you, realizing I've been going my own independent way. It's not getting me anywhere. It's led to futility and frustration, and I'm coming home. And come home. Come home. Come home. Put away your arguments. Recognize the strongholds that you've established against God in your stubbornness. Let the walls be torn down, the pretense, the arguing, and come home. Surrender. Surrender. Okay, so now we're going to build on this a little bit. I want you to see five statements in verse 20 that express to us the Father's heart. Now watch them, okay, and then we'll talk about them. First, and this is about our Heavenly Father's love. First, he saw his son coming while he was still a long ways off. Second, he had great compassion towards him. Third, he ran to him, threw his arms around him, number four, and kissed him. Okay, now, we're going to talk about these, but we need a little help with fathers right here because truth be known, not all of us have a positive attitude toward fathers. That somehow our fathers have hurt us, and that's affected our God view. Sadly, our God view is established during those early developmental years from what we observe in our parents, how they treated each other, how they treated us. And because of that, we have a distortion of who God is. So if our parents sent a message to us that said, you can never be good enough, then that becomes our God view. If our parents instilled fear in us 
or, or stole something from us that was deep and very personal. We become terrified toward God. So when we read the scriptures where it says, fear God, we want to think of him as a threat or a predator when in reality it's recognizing his awesomeness and being willing to subject ourselves to him. Yeah, you be the ruler of, of my life. And if your father was selfish or instilled messages such as, I disapprove of you, or I'm busy and can't be interrupted, or you'll never measure up to my expectations, or be careful lest you upset me, then please hear what the Bible says about your heavenly father. Okay, Romans chapter 2, verse 3, partway through the verse, it says, it's God's kindness that leads you to repentance so parents may miss the power of selflessness and kindness and use other means but God wins us with selflessness and with love with kindness with grace the more you know him the more you understand this. So in this parable today, a son has blown it. He's now come home, and we see the father's response. So let's walk through these. First phrase, while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him. When no one else noticed the turnaround, the father did. God is all-knowing. God is all-present, all and therefore he's anticipating. In fact, he's watching. He's ready, and he's looking for your return. He even knows your heart before you can anticipate your own home coming and that's what your father's doing toward you he's anticipating you're coming home second i hope you're being ministered to yeah just let it feed your soul yeah second filled with compassion he didn't ask what's the matter with you he doesn't say i told you so he doesn't say i knew you'd eventually be back be back he sympathizes with the son in his distress now listen to the words of hebrews 4:15 here we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses but we have one who's the one Jesus, you better believe it. We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Come home. God cares. He's ready for you. Third phrase, he ran to his son. Didn't stand at the gate tapping his foot, right? He didn't ask, what does he think he's doing here? He, he didn't say, I knew he'd be back just as soon as he spent it all. You know, what does he want now? He didn't tell his secretary, hey, would you go meet him at the gate and tell him I'm gone for a week, come back later? Didn't do any of that. He ran to him. The father ran to his son. Now, put this in his cultural setting. Think about the time frame. Fathers in the Jewish culture didn't run. It wasn't a part of their piety. Running, they wore long robes. They had a belt here to run. They would literally have to lift their robes to tuck them into their belt, which would expose their thighs, which a father is not going to do. Then you think about this. This is a picture of Almighty God 
pulling up his robe, exposing his thighs in order to get to you. And that's why Michelangelo got it so beautifully right when he painted that that picture of the creation of Adam. Because if you look at it, there's Adam all casually laid back, just doesn't care. But you look at God, you look at the intensity on God's face. You look at the way his hair is flowing back, right? And you look at the angels, so it's almost like they got to keep God from falling, trying to get to Adam. Yeah, that's God's heart toward you. He goes the extra distance toward you. And when at last we find ourselves broken and desperate enough just to make that turn around, the Father comes running towards us and that's why James 4 7 says come near to God and he will come near to you he's gonna come with all intensity with the forces of heaven behind him yeah awesome thank you Jesus good stuff preacher yeah good stuff God go God fourth the father gathers you into his arms. He throw, threw his arm around the sun. Doesn't need to hear all the premeditated explanations. He just wants to hold on to you. So it's interesting because this boy is actually repeating a litany in his head of what he's going to tell his father. I mean, he's preparing his defense, you know, his, his argument. And he says, Father, verse 18, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. But he doesn't get that far. He just gets to Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be son. And the Father is already restoring him to a position of sonship. No plea bargains necessary, right? And here are these arguments that are set up against the kingdom of God. That sure, someday I'll get my act together and I'll start coming to church. Baloney, you're lied to. You are deceived. You aren't that good. You're not. (laughs) Yeah. And God's not going to make you a servant when his intentions are to make you a son. Yeah. That's right. So the father runs to his son, throws his arms around him, and he kisses him. That's a seal of approval right there. This isn't about a father who's looking for opportunity to punish. All you Catholics out there like me, all you Southern Baptists out there like some of you, (laughs) this isn't a story about a father who's looking to punish. This isn't about a rumbling God who sits up there on a cloud with a a shaft of lightning in his hand ready to blow you up when you mess up. That's not what this is about. This is a story about a father, a heavenly father, who's looking for every opportunity to bless. And what he needs is for you to see it and just make that turn. Recognize the madness of the world. Stop blaming. Stop blaming politicians. Stop blaming God and see it's our own mess and turn around and come home. Praise be to God forever. He's looking for opportunities to bless. And we're going to be looking at this 
over the next several weeks. Next week, we've got to do something related to this, so we won't spend much time, if any, in the parable of the prodigal son, but in the weeks ahead, we're going to delve, 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 delve into this. But this morning, I believe the Holy Spirit has spoken, and he's drawing. The question is, what has he said to you? What's he saying to you right now? Think about it. Take time and think about it. You might even need to write it down, but, but let me give you a few thoughts here. I mean, maybe today he's saying, come home. You've been out there on your own. You think you've acquired something, but really you're, you're poor, you're destitute, you're naked. Come home. What does it involve? It involves believing Jesus is who he says he is. What does it involve? It involves confessing that he really is Lord and that he is forgiver. It involves repenting. It involves a turnaround, saying, I have been going my own independent way, but today I'm coming home. Yeah. And then it involves receiving him into your life, onto the throne of your life. Another possibility saying to you, Maybe you've been rejecting or avoiding people who don't live up to your understanding of things. And maybe you need to repent of that, confess it as sin. Because sinners are just doing what sinners will do when you're trying to gratify the flesh. And there's no end to that. The flesh is insatiable, and people need the Spirit of God working in them. Not American discipline, rugged individualism, not the American army or the military, right? They desperately need God's help. Third, perhaps you know someone who's walked away from God and family, and they're living in a pig pen, and you know it, and you need to pray for them. Yeah. Fourth, maybe there's an aspect of your life that you've been holding on to. And you haven't surrendered it to God, and therefore you know that you're flitting it away. You're wasting it. Right? It represents an area of your life that you're not using to its fullest potential because it hasn't been consecrated and given to the Lord. And maybe today, God would have you give that to him. I can't answer the question for you. What would God have you do with what you've heard today? Is there someone that right now would have the boldness to say, Pastor Mike, God nailed me. I'm coming home. Somebody, raise your hand up and say, I'm coming home. Heather, awesome, awesome, yeah. All right, somebody else? Who else? All right, yeah, yeah, awesome. Come home. Come home to Jesus. Come home, come home. I'm going to invite our prayer partners to come, and they want to talk to you. Pray with you. Maybe the people you're with, maybe you want them to pray with you. Tell somebody, get baptized, make a public declaration so we can throw a party and celebrate with you. Worship team, come on up here. Let the spirit continue to move. Consider why God brought you here, what he wants you to do. Amen.